Hi, welcome to the Food in the Edge podcast, and I'm your host, JP McMahon. You're very welcome to the Food in the Edge podcast. And today I'm talking to Alberto Landcraft, uh, who is all the way over in Rio uh, de Janeiro in Brazil. How are you today, Alberto? I'm very well, JP. How are you? Thank you I'm so much a- for having me. I'm good. It's actually, it's the sun is shining in Ireland today for once. And uh, so at least I can pretend the weather is uh, possibly something that it looks like. How is, how is Rio looking today? Rio is looking uh, exactly like when I visited you. It's cold <laughs> and it's damp and it's not very nice because uh, wow. we're on opposite sides of the world, actually. So it's uh, when it's summer there, it's winter here. Ah, okay, okay. Well, we, we, our summer is our winter, which I'm sure you remember when you were over. Uh, some, sometimes, like it was winter yesterday in Ireland, and today it's summer. So it's kind of a, it moves, it moves across. And I, I know we talked, um, oh, probably it could be last year now at the beginning of the pandemic, and and how how Brazil was 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 dealing with uh, with with things. And how how have it been? How has it been for you over the last um, couple of months? Are you back to serving people indoors? Yes, we close to 100% back indoors. Oh, wow, great. But but so we had two uh, short periods where the mayor just woke up and declared completely lockdown. And then you have to throw like 100,000 euros of food away because uh, you buy food for, you know, you're working normally. And then you have food in your walk-in and you have fish and you have uh, truffles and you have caviar and stuff. And this stuff you can't, uh, it's not like a, a, a shoe shop where you can keep it and make a, a flash sale at the end of the month. You have just to, to eat it or throw it away. We ate it, but uh, economically speaking for the restaurant, it's the same as throwing away. So we had two of those, two or three of those uh, that happened, you know, uh, for me right now, I don't see the reason of them of this anymore, but we're close to 100% of capacity working, and uh, we we're, we're kind of back to normal. That's fantastic. I, I don't know if you were following the news in Ireland or Europe. Yes, we, we were due to open today, actually this Monday, and uh, it, it was stopped. I'm I finger, fingers crossed it'll be possibly in two weeks. Uh, I hope, but uh, at least we. I, I kind of under. I got wind that. The, we mightn't reopen, so I paused everything. So we had 36 ducks and one lamb, which was not the worst. Um, I know some. <laughs> okay. I know some restaurants had a lot, a lot of stock. Uh, they had got back in, uh, like so, so much stuff. And uh, it's always the difficulties, I think, when you're, when you're, when you're working with uh, with food that. Um, you really need uh, you really need to know what what, what the, the the playing field is like. Yeah, because food. Uh, when you talk about the restaurant, we actually a shop. We sell stuff, but the difference is is that uh, an, an Apple store, the stuff comes ready, and uh, as I said, if you don't sell it by the end of the month, still still there. Mm. We have to make our, our, our stuff. It doesn't come ready. It'll have two or three days to sell it. Otherwise, it's, it's, it goes off. 
So it's 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 much more complicated than people think. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I didn't mean to start with COVID, but I suppose it's always going to be the thing that is on everyone's mind. Yeah. So we have to we have to try and get COVID out of the way. But what I had been doing over these these podcasts that we've been uh, running for the last year or so, I suppose I wanted to try and get get to know some of the chefs and speakers that had come to um uh, come over to ireland and, and spoke about their practice but i suppose so i wanted to, i wanted to ask you uh, uh, alberto about about your own food experiences that the, the ones that okay. you, the ones that you feel are formative firstly i suppose as a child i mean what growing up in brazil what was your experience of food and, and or when did you realize that food was uh, was something that was important uh, for you? Uh, f- for me, it's kind of crazy because I grew up in a farm and then uh, I was eating that, uh, you know, the best food you could possible have. You know, my milk would come from the cow the morning, uh, a few hours before I had it each morning, you know, vegetables from the garden. Uh, you know, everything so fresh, you know, and I was so connected to that. You know, my father would tell me, go and pick some carrots. And I'd go and pick the carrots for lunch, wash them, brush them. But then when you're a young kid, you don't want to do that. You want to go to McDonald's, right? Yeah, and yeah. And then you, you, <laughs> you, you give no value to that. So then I went to England and then uh, I started cooking. I started cooking at better places, at better restaurants. And uh, it's starting in the world, uh, you know, there was the internet revolution in between that time. I'm not that young, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of your age, so you, you will understand me, I'm 41. Uh, we, caught in, we were caught in between. The information was out there, all of a sudden, you knew everything about everything. I, I started to understand and study and realize that what I had when I was a, I was a child, that I complained a lot was actually what I was actually looking for again as a chef, as a grown man to have it again for my my own restaurant. So it's kind of crazy that my cycle was like that. So I had it, then I, I didn't have it anymore because I didn't want it. I, I moved out of the farm. I, I, I told my parents, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want this because uh, this is like a, not the life I want to live, and now I do all I can to go back as often as I can to the to the farm areas, to the to the r- rural areas, so I can you know be in touch with nature again. So it's kind of crazy that I had that cycle in my life, and uh, also it's 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 insane that uh, Bra- Brazil has the largest Japanese community in the world, and as you know, my father is German and my mom is Japanese. So I grew up eating Japanese food here in Brazil. Not, uh, you know, the top sushi food and all of that, but, uh, but the, the, hot, the hot stuff. And with, with those, some concepts came with no waste, uh, you know, pure flavors, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, being very, very diligent in what you're doing, you know, uh, dividing the tasks you know uh through the family on on christmas day so everybody w- had something to do and and was very organized about that my grandmother my japanese grandmother was very uh, uh strict about uh, you know her orders so i was actually being trained to be a chef and i didn't even know about it 
And how was the how was the growing up with the one parent from Japan and the other from Germany? Was there a mixture of uh, food influences that you thought were quite natural that you later thought, oh god, that's that's European food and that's Japanese food? Uh, the Japanese food was very clear because uh, as we had a large community throughout Brazil, it facilitated like for for some people to create like uh, importers to bring produce to Brazil to bring some. Uh, soy sauce or to start uh, creating their uh, uh, producing their own miso soy sauce and uh, nori things like that but the german community wasn't so big and and let's be honest german food isn't <laughs> that much you know it, it's not so, so so symbolic let's put it that way we, we'll have so, to we'll, we'll have to ask some german people that but we can we can leave it for the moment <laughs> yeah we get it for the moment so I was uh, so 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 apart from the the roast pork and apple sauce that we would yeah. have in ever ever so often on, on on Sunday lunch because of my grandfather. I grew up eating Brazilian farm food and uh, some versions because we didn't have all the ingredients. Some versions of uh, uh, Japanese food, and, and when you say Brazilian farm food, like like what's a kind of archetypal, like archetypally Brazilian food for uh, for you? I mean, in terms of its produce, it, it it's what, what happens is like the, the the big influence here in Brazil, as it is in the Caribbean, as it is in many countries who had uh, a lot of uh, African slavery at the time. Well, basically, that's what the we ate because who cooked our food was, mm. uh, you know, back in the the 1600s. Uh, was the 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 you know the cooks were the African slavers. So we had a lot of stews. It depends where you are because Brazil has a one of the largest shores in in the world. So if you're close to the shore, you're eating like fish stew. You're eating copido, which is food thickened with manac flour. Uh, you're eating uh, a lot of fried stuff, fried fish, you know, very similar to the Caribbean. If you're in the countryside where I was, you're eating rice, beans, some sort of uh, protein, a lot of beef, because Brazil became one of the largest beef producers yes. in the world. So just grilled beef and some sort of uh, manioc. Manioc is, the, is our main start. So, you know, it's uh, the same way you... Potatoes are very important for you. Mm. Corn is very important for North America, and rice is very important in Asia. Manioc was in all its form and varieties were was very important for us. And what uh, you were saying, like you, you traveled to England, and food became more serious for you then. And I know you trained with some with, with some uh, very important chefs. But like, why, was 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 that a lifestyle thing that you when you when you went? Had you worked in in kitchens before England, or what did you do no. food when you got there? No, no, man. I'll tell you something. I'm 41. I've done a lot of stuff in the, the cooking world, but uh, until I was 20, I had never fried an egg in my life. <laughs> Uh, I started cooking completely out of necessity when I was studying, finishing my English studies in England. And then I uh, got interested in professional cooking and, you know, just dived into it. And that, that's why I told you the cycle for me was, was different. Because then when I came back to Brazil, I saw guys, all these things I've been reading books and looking on the internet and seeing, you know, all this revolution going you know, uh, this farm to table and stuff like that. 
That's what my dad does since I was young, since I was a child. You know, I have this in my house since forever, and I never gave any value to that. Yeah, so, I, think I think it's the same for for me. I mean, you mentioned it's funny you mentioned McDonald's because I mean, when we were growing up, we grew up in the city. Like McDonald's was a, like a treat for us. We went to the supermarket, and and honestly, I suppose I felt I, I to a certain degree ashamed of that older way of of living, of living on a farm, and we wanted to become modern. Yes. And and yeah. now and now, I suppose what I what we're trying to get back to is probably something my great grandparents uh, and my grandparents had to do out of necessity. And uh, yes, it's, it's really interesting. And a lot of these things are just are even for me, we're, we're never talked about. I didn't realize I was just talking to my father uh, recently that my grandmother had a whole garden of fruit and in the fifth in the 1950s and everyone, she said, grew the grew fruit. But uh, I had completely forgotten this because by the time we got to a certain age, she had stopped doing this because the supermarket was there. And like, I suppose a lot of things had, had changed. Yeah, exactly. Um what happens like uh, in Brazil went through a, a an economic uh, uh, revolution, let's put it that way, in the 1990s, in the middle 90s. And uh, when you change classes, you know, you want something that uh, you, you, you haven't had before. So the poorer classes were starting to become middle class. And in uh, the middle class, you know, and the guys were eating well they were strong they could work on the field the whole day and stuff and then all of a sudden they're eating mcdonald's eating fast food eating mm. food that comes out of supermarkets and stuff like that and uh and with that comes all the consequences that come with it obesity you don't have that energy anymore and you know the farmers they get abandoned you know people are not doing that work so as well as anymore you don't get workforce for farm farms anymore. You know, when I was in Ireland, you thought we. Uh, I was I was uh, amazed of how many Brazilians I met that are, went. Uh, they were in Ireland because they were working in in uh, in butcher plants because yes, uh, so many, yeah. Because uh, all the workforce, you know, they don't want to do that anymore. They want to live in the city and have their Starbucks and you know look cool and. Uh, and cozy and uh, with their macbooks at the at the at the coffee shop you and, know? That's, so, and that's still till now i mean i would think the majority of people working in the in the butcheries or the abattoirs are are either brazilian or uh, there's a lot of um polish or other eastern europeans and uh, it, it's because the irish well they don't a they don't want to do it and um and b as as you said like they have moved into the city and they're working i suppose on tech and they're more removed from from food and it creates a certain division uh in in society and this and we saw it this is, sorry go on alberto no and uh, i was just gonna mention that uh, you know this the, the youngers the younger guys they don't even know what a farm is you know they never touch it i, I went on a trip with some of my chefs uh we went to cook uh in a in a place where they have these big vanilla beans, these wild vanilla beans that we can get to cook because the monkeys, they eat it because they're so flavorful. Mm. So it's called a, a, a monkey vanilla. Uh, and then uh, 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 some of my chefs, they were touching, you know, earth, you know, something, you know, 
so natural. And I, I, I look at, it, at those guys that were like 20, 21. I said, what are you doing? I said, the guys were like, we, nev- we never touched earth before. Mm. We never saw a plant before. We never went to in, like into a, uh, into a forest before. So in, in, in very, you know, in places like, a, not in Denmark where you drive, you, or, or, or Ireland where you still have the wild close to you, but in Brazil you have to drive four hours to get, uh, you know, some sort of wild uh, 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 situation uh, uh, going around you. So, so here it's, uh, it's uh, the newer generations, they're zero connected to the lands and to the in to what comes out of it so here is getting worse it's a similar very similar situation to america yeah and i think that's it's interesting i was watching the documentary on chicken recently and i didn't realize well i the i suppose the the largest meat producer in in brazil had purchased the largest chicken producer in the states and then i yes. I, I did a small bit of research but actually one of the large chicken producers in ireland is actually owned by 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 uh, this Brazilian company, so it's this yeah. this different. Um, I suppose on the one hand, uh, the global global industrial farming, and on the other hand, you can still. I suppose we're lucky in Ireland to still be able to actually know someone who owns a farm or visits visits a farm. But it's not. I mean, certain often there's. I don't know if this happens in Brazil, but often in Ireland there's this kind of greenwashing where we show pictures of the land and cows and everything, but then behind closed doors, there is just this massive industrial uh, food, uh, com- it, food it, complex it, going. Totally. It totally happens here because this big company, how does a company from Brazil where the, the, the exchange rate from the, you know, from our money is so weak against the Euro and against the dollar, how can we go around buying, you know, these huge companies? It's just because the government has, you know, has, move some bits and pieces where they shouldn't, you know, instead of help, uh, investing in education or healthcare and stuff like that, they're taking a lot of money because that takes a lot of money. Imagine how much money does it take to, to buy the largest chicken producer uh, in the US for a Brazilian company. So they take a lot of money and put into a private company to buy this, 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 all, all this stuff. And this company, I don't know if you know, they own Burger King worldwide. Yeah. yeah. They own Heinz, the ketchup worldwide. You know, but it, that that's all government government money. So it, it's crazy. And, and I but, think they, go on, sorry. But as you said, they they put a a curtain in front of it with some cows in a, in a green fields, and they say, oh, this is what we do. But you know, it's nothing close to that. Yeah, and I think, I, I think I'm I, I'm sure you were scared with what you saw in the chicken documentary. Yeah, no, it was absolutely, and and the the thing is that it's it's happening on a smaller scale in Ireland, but like it was phenomenal. It was just like ten thousand chickens in a in 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 different pods, and the farmers were were they weren't even called farmers; they were called. Um, like either grow, I think they were called growers because all they did growers, was, yeah, they 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 purchased they they kind of minded the chickens until they were grown, but they didn't own the chickens and they got paid. But I think that type of food system, which I suppose is at is at odds with what we do in our daily lives and what you do in the restaurant, 
I, I think that the, the, the gap between these two food systems is growing wider and wider. And I hope that we're, we were able to tackle it. But it, it is difficult because, as you say, like when food is about money, this is all that matters. You know, not, it's yeah. not about education or quality. This industry, this kind of industries, and it, and that happens with beef. That happens with uh, uh, grains like rice, like uh, soy, like uh, wheat, like uh, oats. That happens with everything in Brazil. The, this industry, they're not there to produce food or to produce, uh, you know, uh, to make the fields uh, and the earth usable for those mm. who who own it. These industries are there basically just to make money. You know, it just happens that they're making money with chicken. Yeah. But they were, if if they were making money with uh, you know, uh, you know, cans of coke would be the same for them. It's indifferent. Yeah, I think it's just food as a commodity, and like whether they're making it is a commodity. It could be shoes, uh, as you say. It could be steel. It, it could just, be. It just happens anything. to be something. And if, I think if, if they discover something underground. That that's more that's worth more than chickens. I'm pretty sure they'll kill all the chickens and start digging underground to take this stuff out of the ground. And I think this what this does is it removes food from the the social experience. Like as you were saying when you were growing up, that food was was a part of your life and you understood oh this is where food comes from. And not everyone has that experience. And the more we move into cities, the more we move the more we move away from that. But I think it's important that people like ourselves are able to try and educate and say, look, this is, food has to come from from somewhere because many people like don't even know what a chicken looks like anymore. Yeah, and, th and there's a, another side of that as well. Uh, first and foremost, uh, that's why uh, people ask me, oh, uh, this symposiums like uh, food on the edge and this and that is just for chefs to 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 hang around and be cool. I said no. You know, it's to show people, to try to show, to showcase people, you know, w what the, the ideal system would look like. Because, you know, the trip we made, the things we saw, you know, like the, the orchard we went to, into that mm. place where we had all the fruit and all the stuff, you know, that's how it was supposed to be. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the lamb guys that have to paint the, their lamb, with uh, with paint and uh, so they don't get confused, you know. So it, it, it's it's still out there, you know. They're survivors. They're working on a small scale, but they're still out there. And uh, we we are, are are you know we have to give support to them as much as we can, either being on a Instagram picture, buying from them, or talking about them whenever we can. Yeah, so it I is think important this. This, these type, yeah, I think that is, and for even for me, like at, at whatever symposium I go to, I think a lot of people say they're like, as you said, gratuitous. But I often find, even when I bring people like yourselves to to Ireland, I realize more about Ireland when you get here. I suppose I appreciate it more because because sometimes when something is in front of you, it's very hard to see. But when, yes. when people when people come from far away, so if it's from South America or Australia or Africa. Like I think we we get to see a, a different side of 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 our own of our own country, and we get to talk about what 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 you're going through, what I'm going through, and I think that that communication is really important for developing food, and, and whether it's through Instagram or Twitter or a symposium, I think we have to keep on using the the media's that we have 
to to keep on building uh, food education. Yes, and uh, and the other side of it, though, I wanted to mention is also the social side of it because okay, uh, you know, the big companies are growing chickens, uh, you know, with uh, lights on 24 hours a day so they don't sleep so they think that it's daytime the whole time and they keep eating and in in 45 days they wait 2.5 kilos and they're ready to sell instead of the six months that would take it before mm. uh but uh you know people forget that there's a social aspect to it that is the farmer the figure of the farmer the guy that used to need to to own that land and to make money out of the land to support his family. So we're, 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 we're okay. So the big companies are making money. They're not selling in, uh, ingredients. They're selling commodities, as you said yourself. So, okay, so they're making money, but that took away that money from someone else, which were the small farmer who would sell these chickens and these uh, lambs and this uh, beef and this uh, vegetables to the small butcher shop, to the little supermarkets in in medium to large towns, that you know just doesn't that that person just doesn't exist anymore. Mm. It, it, it's gone. It's gone out. This, these guys have no no way to make their living out of something that they've done for their whole life. So they're working in factories. They're working in in things that you know they the it's not something that. They've trained their whole lives to do. It's like all of a sudden we can't cook uh, professionally anymore. We can o only work on fast food, and yeah, we're forced to work on that. You know, yeah, it's, this, it, it's it's crazy. This for me, this this uh, the, the the social experience of food, and I suppose what what we call social gastronomy is something for me that is really important because it's less about like where where you're cooking so whether it's a restaurant or home but but how you cook and, and what you're cooking and i think that we're that we're losing this experience because as you said if someone uh, goes into work in a factory then they only eat fast food and this is this becomes their life and they're they are removed from any sort of engagement with food and i think supermarkets have a big role to play in education and i think that for me actually now they need to do way more I, I think that the problem at the moment is they, is everything is put to individual choice. And then it depends how much money you have. And I think we need to get beyond, if you go into the local supermarket in, in Galway, you'll see chickens from say five or six euro up to 20 euro. So you'll see your regular chicken up to your organic kind of formula one chicken. But, that, but the problem for this, for me, is that then only people with money can buy the best chicken. And so, so they're forgetting about the social side of things that you can't just make it about indiv individual choice. And history repeats itself because uh, it's been like that since ever. You know, kings and queens throughout history have always fed themselves better than the you know the normal population. That's why you had you've had some diseases and some uh, pandemics before because uh, when pandemics came. I did a lot of uh, a little bit of studying, and we have pandemics before because you know of lack of iron and people's diet, lack of these and people of other uh, you know uh, supplements and people's diet. So that's so that's you know what happens is like uh, you know it's it's uh, you know the cycle just repeats itself. It's the rich catering to the rich, and uh, and uh, 
although we try as much as we can, you know, we're, we're just a small voice in, you know, like in a country like Brazil, there's a big scandal where they found out that the government was putting money on these private companies and a lot of money. It was so much money that the government was actually kind of, uh, you know, throughout some bank, some offshore accounts and some, uh, and some, uh, and some, uh, and some uh, people that uh, were there just using their name. We call them oranges, you know, mm. the literal translation. Uh, they're just using, you know, their signature and their social security number just to, uh, to you know, j just put the name on, on a contract. You know, we found out that through 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 all this, this whole scheme, the government they had put so much money into private companies that they had to become partners of these companies. I think this they had seats on the boards. Yeah. yeah, so so it's crazy. It's crazy. It's just crazy. And we have to live with that because like I I, I barely serve beef at my restaurant. And people come and ask me, why don't you serve beef? I say, because I only buy from people who produce ingredients. People who produce commodities, that's no good for me because they're not thinking about quality. They're just thinking about how fast can this cow or this cattle uh, grow so I can sell it to Russia or to, to Eastern mm. Europe or to China or to whatever, you know, they're selling it. Because now that the... It, one thing that happened with COVID is that uh, our, our 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 money got really weak against the European uh, uh, currency. So people start exporting a lot of money. So the the this business, the the the, the farming business uh, in, in in larger scale, they made a lot, a lot, a lot of money in Brazil during pandemics because uh, the. The, our, 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 our money was weak, so let's sell abroad. And they sold all the money abroad. And then we had less food in Brazil. What happened? The price here was up, you know, less demand. Uh, you know, you have less uh, less stocks uh, in-house. In it's normal that, uh, and, and the, nor the normal demands, uh, it's normal that the prices go up. It's just a, a normal process that happened through history. So, uh, here we had less money because we weren't working and the prices were rising because our, all these people are just selling abroad because they were getting paid more. Yeah, I, th I think it's a, for me, it, that's a really important point that you make. And it's something that we do all the time. But just to I think it's important to, to say that that I think the difference between buying ingredients and buying commodities. And, and it's one of the reasons why even in in the same in an ear and in some of the restaurants that we don't have a massive amount of beef, even though Ireland is synonymous with beef. And it's because I suppose for me, it's about balance, but it's also about that I, we're trying to work with farmers as opposed to work with beef producers or beef growers or whatever you want to 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 call them. But, but for me, the, the, it's it's the people that are very, very important. So I want to be able to talk to the lamb farmer or talk to the vegetable farmer as opposed to be buying just vegetables from uh, from uh, uh, off, off a shelf. Yes, yes, I, I agree. I totally agree with you. I, I, I tell people, people ask me, who are your uh, who are your suppliers? And I keep telling them, uh, I don't buy from suppliers. I buy from producers. And people get a little bit shocked with me sometimes because I'm very strict with that. So, uh, so people, 
but people also don't understand why the re the restaurant is in basically we, ha we, we we've been open for three years but uh you, you take the you know like a year that uh, we lost because of covid and we 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 did really well and it, it's silly it's silly but it's so obvious that people ask oh why your food tastes so good it's yeah just, I, I, sometimes i tell them oh it's just because i buy a better carrot than my than my competition mm. and people don't understand that sometimes it's only about that having better ingredients i think people forget i mean i'm not and it's not it's not even a question of um of uh how much money you have but i think people often forget when they're buying ingredients that uh, about the taste, you know, I think people are so conditioned that, oh, this is a tomato. This is kind of what it tastes like. You buy it, you put it in your sandwich, you eat it, as opposed to when you uh, visit someone who grows tomatoes or you're purchasing tomatoes from a from a tomato grower. Like there are so many different tastes and different sensations. And I think that we have forgotten about that, the experience that a carrot or a tomato can give us when you eat it. And you go, oh, wow, that's amazing. But really, it's quite simple. It's just that there's a bit more love uh, created uh, when the, when this thing is growing. Yes, and that uh, the person that's growing it really depends on that to basically put food on his table. So he's doing the best he can. Like we do at our, uh, at our, you know, our place of work. We do the best we can, you know, because we want people to come enjoy themselves and come back. Otherwise, we're not going to survive. So these guys are growing, you know, uh, you know, are, let's say artisanal in, in, in an artisanal way, you know, they, they still, you know, doing the best they can and, you know, doing, trying to make the best, produce the best produce. Uh, they can, so they can sell at a big, a little higher price that we as chefs, we, I, I think we should, we are obliged to pay this price because uh, I, I sometimes I joke with people. The restaurant business is the best restaurant because nobody asks for discounts at a table and everybody pays up front. Because uh, if you buy a car, sometimes you, you're going to pay in so many installments, but no, not with food. And uh, if you go to a shop to buy a, a pair of trainers for, for your running, you're going to say, oh, can you give me a temper some no 10-15% discount? Uh and, and with in a restaurant, nobody sits at a table and say, Oh, can you give me 10% discount on my meal, please? That doesn't happen. So I think it's unfair for us to to do this to others, you know? So I I I, 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 I really think we should put uh, our money where our mouth is. And uh and uh and for us we also in a comfort, in a very comfortable situation, where we're, we're intermediates. If I buy if I buy carrot for one, I will sell it for four. If I buy it for two, I'll sell it for eight. So we just we, ju we just put as much as we want on top of it, and whoever ends up paying the bill is actually the clients, is not ourselves. Mm. It's just that we need to have clients that we right now. We kind of, you know, were forbid to have. And how how difficult is it, in like being in a, in a, in a city the size of Rio, to to source directly from uh, from farmers and, and producers? Uh, Rio is uh, uh, in São Paulo was 
sorry man for the word but São Paulo was a bitch but uh, here in Rio Rio is a, a small town disguised as a big town so here we're very close to the to the mountains there's a mountain areas where we were we, we, we're not we don't have that uh, we don't have for me it's the most beautiful place in the state of Rio so we don't have the sun the intense sun burning our skin whenever we go out so it's fresh and it has perfect conditions it has rain uh, and uh, it has perfect conditions for organic farming so uh, as funny as it sounds uh, Rio has the largest organic farming community in the whole of Brazil wow. so it is being very 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 useful for for the restaurants and also Rio being uh, a city that's more historical let's put it like that people are more culturally um, advanced than Sao Paulo which is like a financial city people only think about money you can compare New York to California in California people uh, they change one said oh in California you just slice a fig and put on a plate and it's a dish you know and sometimes it is because it's a perfect fig and Rio is a little bit more like that there's a lot of vegetarians, a lot of vegetarian restaurants. Uh, people care much more about their health and their lifestyle here in Rio. People buy to work, you know, even regardless of how much money they have. In Sao Paulo, nobody has a bike, nobody walks, nobody, you know, uh, exercises. And Rio is completely different. So we have this organic farming and uh, and, and I have, uh, you know, my my... My playground, which is the sea, right in front of me. So I buy from a small fisherman. You know, I have a, 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 I have a, managed to build a community of four or five guys that you might, you know, that they fish. I, I taught them how to kill the fish in on the ice and uh, and uh, one of what one or two to do the ikijimi for me mm. and uh, and and they do it and they bring fresh feed, fresh fish like. Uh, uh not every day because i don't uh, it's it's, it's th th that's kind of pointless to have you know but every every two days uh i i have fresh fish tuesday wednesday and uh and friday uh tuesday thursday saturday uh i have fresh fish at the restaurant and uh i change the menus every day so i i'm not obliged to serve these or that fish so whatever they show up at the door uh, and it's good. I just pick it up and put it on the menu. So it's a, uh, it's a, uh, and we don't open for lunch. So we have it the whole day to to come up with something with, with that you know that new fish and that ingredient. So Otak basically is a seafood and vegetable restaurant. And I just put one slice of beef on piece of pork belly or uh, two or three cutlets of lamb. So people don't complain that uh, they don't have meat on their menu but a lot of people come and say we don't want meat mm. we would like to have another piece of fish because this fish is incredible we, we don't have we didn't have fish like this before so that happens like a at a 30 or 40 percent clip at the restaurant people refuse beef meat uh as a whole and ask to change for fish or seafood instead 
Do you find your restaurant is quite unique in Rio then, or do you think that there is a, 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 mo a movement or a food culture that you are a part of and that this growing trend is, uh, is something that, uh, that is part of the, the, the culture of, of Rio or even Brazil? I, I, no, I think uh, it's quite unique because uh, I started the restaurant and I thought, let's buy the best we can and, uh, and, and try to sell, you know, the best we can. If it makes money, okay, because the chance of a restaurant, uh, otherwise, uh, my chain of thought was very simple. Good food or bad food, the chance of the restaurant going broke is the same. Otherwise, uh, you know, Pizza Express would never go broke. Jamie mm. Oliver would never go broke, you know. So I, I thought to myself, I, I'm just gonna go for, you know, just gonna go for the home run here. Let's do the best we can with the most expensive ingredients we can buy. I'm not talking about caviar. I'm talking about the most expensive eggs yes. to make a Genoa's cake for a birthday. You know, it may, it does make difference, you know. Uh, uh, I'm talking, let's buy the best salt we can. Let's buy the best uh, uh, flour we can. Our organic flour has much more protein, you know. Uh, it's much better to, to make a batter, to make a cookie, you know, let's buy, you know, let's go all in here. And, uh, and, and it has worked. And a lot of people have looked at us and said, uh, you know, if it's working there, maybe we can do the same. And then I think we served it as an example for a lot of small restaurants. But what I will say is that we're not the pioneers of good cooking in Rio. When I arrived here, of course, Rio is in a lot of ways way behind Sao Paulo, but there were a lot of people doing good work here, but uh, maybe not on that extreme craziness, sometimes unresponsible level that I try to do. Where do you see the future for um, for what you're doing? And like, in, in I suppose, in, on the level of the restaurant, but also the on the wider level. We talked about the gastronomy, the social gastronomy. We talked about food education and the importance of food and its link with farming. So for me, where do you see your, your project uh, evolving? I see only good things, uh, JP, because uh, as you said, information, you know, goes fast and goes around uh, nowadays and uh, and people one from the industry want to know why is Otec gaining so much accolades and we're not and then they come and they ask and I'm very open about it and I talk to I try to be as helpful as I can with young chefs and I just tell them man believe me or not is just because we buy better ingredients first and foremost you know uh, of course, I had uh, the luck of having uh, good formation in the tough, rough years in England, where you 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 really learned how to 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 do the you know like real cooking. Mm -hmm. It's not like you go to a restaurant with a uh, hundred stagiaires nowadays and you just pick a uh, 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 you know just pick a sorrow the whole day and uh, and then you come back home and you say that you work these or there. And then, you know, it's it, it's really not cooking that, that's just picking sorrow is different. Mm -hmm. So at my time, there were no stagiaires at the kitchen. I remember when I got a job at Tom Aikens, you know, there was Tom and there was Aiden Byrne that you might know as well. Yes, that I know has, him, yeah. 
yeah. Uh, so the, those two fucking intimidating guys, they came to me and they said, look, in the old days, we had two days to learn the section. We're going to give you a, a week and that's it. Otherwise, you're gone. You know, and, and I felt like a, 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 a man talked to a fucking giant, two fucking giants, because they were my idols. Mm. And uh, and they had you know a fame that you know you know how, how these guys operated back then, and then uh, and it was a crazy kitchen because uh, Isaac from the Clove Club worked there. Uh, there was a guy uh, that's now on uh, Dylan. I think he's oh on, yeah, uh, Dylan McGrath. Yeah, uh, I know Dylan. Yeah, D- yeah, Dylan was a sous chef there. And he was a fucking motherfucker. <laughs> he killed me, that guy. You know, now he's he's nice and all dressed up for MasterChef. But before <laughs> he was like a fucking hell, man. What a the the, the toughest sous chef I've ever had in my life was Dylan. And uh, and uh, so it was a kitchen like uh, let's put it that way. Back at that time, we had Gordon Ramsay, we had uh, the Fed Duck, we had uh, Tom Akins. So we had like all-star kitchens that everybody that came out of those kitchens, they have their own superstar restaurant nowadays. Mm. So it's it's like a was it was a great time to learn and to work in these kitchens. And I was doing the fish section, and so and uh, and was very you know a destiny thing that I'm right now doing uh, work in a place where I can use a lot of fish and uh, a lot of seafood. So. The knowledge I accumulate through those years, you know, I'm I'm actually getting to use right now. But I see it going into good places because uh, in the same way I saw England in the beginning of the 2000s in that situation. And I see London today as a very strong food scene. And you know that you can eat different kind of food in ways that you eat uh, uh, different cultures of food as well. And you have a good reason for young guys doing nice projects. I see Brazil going the same way. Uh, I, I didn't compare it to Ireland because Ireland is a smaller country with less people. Uh, I think you're gonna get you you're going to get there faster. If not, you're there already because you know that small hotel we, we went in Catamara where uh, I really just fell in love with the place where we we end up singing karaoke till five in the morning. <laughs> and then we woke up at uh, to have a, a, a cold dip really early. Uh, Matt Orlando was, you know, was like uh, his Navy SEAL. Oh, everybody wake up, let's go and 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 dive into minus five uh, degree water and whatever. So so I think you're gonna get there faster because you're smaller. You can control it better. And I see, uh, I I saw the food you have there. It's 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 much better uh, than we see anywhere else in the world you know the quality of the ingredients so you're gonna get there faster but for for us and uh, i see us taking the same path that london took we we started with the the having you know the refugee situation brazil has become very open to refugees and when they arrive what does what is the first thing they do they open a food stall somewhere yeah and you know and that helps to create a food culture you know, food culture is not only about uh, having good ingredients, rich clients, and uh, posh restaurants. It's also about those food stalls 
that you learn something from this guy, learn something from that guy, and you know, you create communities to supply these guys as well. So uh, I, I think Brazil is going in a good direction. It's a shame that we have this this pandemics that I don't know how many years is gonna hold us up because uh, economically speaking, we're not as strong as Europe. So it's gonna take us a few, I guess, two or three years to recover from that. And uh, we calculate that 30 to 40% of the restaurants are, are closing or are gonna close the next year because of the debt they accumulated uh, during pandemics. So it's gonna be a shame because a lot of people is gonna be out of work, but uh, we've all been there. They're gonna, you know, manage to, to come around and, and do something nice again, you know. And uh, the only problem I see in Ireland that I'm appalled by it is that I see the map on your Twitter every day It's the only country in Europe where indoor dining is still not allowed. So it's it's I, I just don't understand why is it what's the reasoning behind it? Yeah, it's a it's a, a tragic. Just what you were saying there about about uh, immigration or immigrants and uh, and food stalls. That I think it's important to tell you that like we have I think we have three at least three Brazilians chefs working at us at the moment. One is my head chef in Cava and the sous chef in Cava, but one whom we are training in near in Tartar who wants to go back to Brazil to open his own restaurant in the future. So it's it's a nice it's a nice story when uh, and I told them I was talking to you today and. Uh, that it's nice, I think, to give younger chefs the opportunities to create their own food culture. Because for me, food culture is very diverse. And of course, Ireland is not only about Irish ingredients and Irish producers. It's about the many, many people that live here and that make food their own. And there is many pockets of Brazilian food culture dotted around Ireland. And I think it's important to uh, to stress them because we we need to, I suppose, learn from each other. Yes, and Ireland also is a very good example because uh, so many people left Ireland to go to America, to go to other countries and have taken their culture with them. You know, we have St. Patrick's Day in the US, which is a day that's become so symbolic that uh, it has, uh, uh, you know, it has uh, grown outside America and, you know, we have The same day you have St. Patrick's Day in America, we have that in Brazil, you know. Yes. Everybody, you know, dressing green and having beer and uh, using the hats and uh, and uh, and the costumes and everything. So the uh, the Irish were, uh, were an example of leaving their country for a better, you know, livelihood for their family and took their culture with them and, uh, you know, stuck to it. And, uh, you know, and it made it grow across the world. So I was so surprised when I was, after I spoke at uh, Food on the Edge, I was one of the last ones. Uh, I don't know because uh, if that's good or not. Normally, when you go to a rock concert, the last one is the best one. I, I don't know <laughs> if that was my case. But uh, <laughs> it's always the last one. I, I always think we, we've had the best one and then you have the next one and you're going, God, that was better than the last one. So it's always, yeah, always the last one will be, will be the, will be, will be the best. So, so, so it was good to talk. Uh, and it was good to talk after listening to everyone else as well, because uh, I, 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 had to change uh, my, I, I was able to change my speech sometimes, so not to repeat 
what other people were saying, you know, not in a bad way, but in a good way to bring new stuff to Food on the Edge. So I was so surprised after I finished, two guys came, they work for a guy that you probably know in Cork that has a pub and uh, and and he said that he, he he's always with uh, at Food on the Edge, he supports, yes. he's all, every, and uh, he, he, he came to me and he said, uh, Oh, can I introduce you to two Brazilian chefs of mine? And they're big fans of you and they want to go back to Brazil and, you know, and do what you did. You know, they want to have, you know, the, you know, this guy, they just, you know, they, they dream of meeting you. I said, man, look, you know, you have Alex Atala there, you have a, a Bo Beck there, you have Matt Orlando there. Are you sure they want to talk to me? And they were like, yes, because you did the way they want to, the path you followed is the path they want to follow. So they really look up to you. So I felt, you know, very proud. And uh, by the same time, I said, man, I have a bigger responsibility than I thought I did. Because uh, you, whether you want or not, you become an example to people and you have to, you know, to, 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 you know, you can't disappoint these guys, you know, because when you have people looking up to you and wanting to be like you, you, you have a responsibility to do, you know, to be the best you can always. And this pandemics, you know, here, a lot of young chefs called me and said, Alberto, what are you, what are you doing? How can we survive this? How can we do this? And I'm kind of trying to orientate a lot of people, give directions and, uh, you know, give tips and uh and tell this no do this do that and you know try to be as helpful as i can and uh and 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 it's being really tough but it's also being such a learning process that uh i'm pretty sure that nothing can will be able to to knock me down after we go through this because uh it's been hard it's been hurtful uh uh, it's been really, really sad as well because you see a lot of people going out of business, a lot of people losing their jobs. But at the same time, it's been, as I wrote on uh, on the book, um, you you invited me to be part of. Yes, you, you, you can look at both ways. You can also look as a learning process. So when you try to when you take something bad something good out of such a bad situation you know nothing's gonna knock it down in the future yeah no i i, I think so and I, I think that is a that is a good place to end i think it is a a hopeful one and a, and a positive one because i think it is um it's 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 hard it is, for me it has been the hardest that it has been in the whole pandemic the last couple of weeks with the uh, beginning to open and then being closed again and and i'm hoping that we will have the strength to wait a couple of more weeks and and get going again. And uh, it's sometimes it's it's difficult to be to be positive, but I think that your your message of um, of hope and positivity is that uh, we just have to keep going. So, uh, Alberto, it has been really good talking to you. I hope either I see you in Brazil or you see me in Ireland soon. And uh, no, it's and my pleasure. My pleasure. Have JP. Thank you so much for talking. You know. Uh, as we said, it's, um, I spoke more to you in the last, uh, because of the, of the way the world is. And I think we really developed some sort of, uh, you know, friendship in, 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 yes. in a way friendships are developed these days. Uh, we have a lot in common. Uh, we, I admire you a lot and what you do for Irish food 
you know, just out of your own crazy mind yourself, because uh, I, I know you have no, you don't have the support you should have for such a beautiful country as Ireland is and other countries. They're not so beautiful. They, they support their chefs in ways that, uh, you know, you don't you, you, you don't get the support. So I just praise you because uh, what you do is heroic, man. So keep up the work. And uh, Nof is gonna, you know, you can't keep a, a good man down. And uh, <laughs> you're a good man, and you're gonna rise up from these ashes and uh, survive and still do great things for yourself, for your family, and for Ireland, man. All right. Thank, thank you so much, uh, Alberto. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.